Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Arash's World. And today we have a special guest, Mary Joy. Welcome to Arash's World, Mary Joy. Hello, Arash. It's so nice to be here and share with your audience. And she's going to talk about a very important topic, uh, codependency, as well as her book, uh, which is entitled Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0. And it is a holistic approach to healing and freeing yourself. So before we get started to talk about uh, your topic, um, can you just talk about yourself a little bit? If you can just introduce uh, yourself to others, anything you want to share. And um, yeah, let's let's get to meet you. Dig right in it. Uh, well, uh, it's always I, in the context of what we're going to talk about today. I was um, I was raised as, as a psychiatrist child, which is a lot like being a preacher's kid. If people are familiar with that dynamic, you have to be perfect. Nothing can be wrong but every kid has something wrong and no one's perfect uh but i was raised on the gulf coast of florida i lived in my first job out of college i worked for kiss for three years which is part of this journey that i had and then um, i became a songwriter in nashville and i had to reinvent when the company i call it emerge and purge when the company sold and then i had to face all my codependency because i studied counseling and it was uh, an interesting journey i've had so I'm back in Florida. I came here to take care of my parents and I opened a practice to kind of have to bloom where you're planted. I sometimes I'd rather be someplace else, but here I am. <laughs> we have to do the best we can do. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So hopefully so, that was a condensed version of the story of my life. Yes. That is excellent. And I, I love how things work out one way and then they go a different way. So you you were a singer and songwriter. And then at some point of your life, you decided um, that's not what I want to do. That's not for me anymore. Um, what was the point there? What was the catalyst perhaps of, of changing direction? Were, were you not satisfied with the previous job or did you find something that you liked better? Or how would oh, you- Oh no, I, I loved what I did, but <laughs> I was a songwriter at a major, I could probably say it, they won't get mad at me. Sure. Warner Brothers merged with AOL. And mm -hmm. when they merged with AOL, I knew that our contracts probably wouldn't be renewed. Uh, and it's back when Ted Turner had sold it. And I went and looked at my contract and I said, oh my goodness, I have 2.5 years to reinvent. And it took me a lot longer than that. Mm -hmm. But because I was raised a psychiatrist kid, I did think about law school. My brother was an attorney, but I don't, I'm not a fighter. So I don't want to argue for a living. I don't mm -hmm. mind. Uh, and I am a mediator now. I do love mediation. So attorneys mediate as well. But um, uh, I, I said, well, you know, my music was all about helping people and most of the themes in them are making people feel better or making people just feel and I used to argue with my dad I get people in touch with their feelings too as a songwriter uh, but they leave a performance happy and <laughs> leave your office crying sometimes so now here I am a therapist we eat our words <laughs> and one of the things you mentioned in your book is uh, the idea of the show must go on so even though things yes. are difficult you have to push on and that can cre yes. create a lot of strain and stress uh, on on the body and the mind uh, would you agree oh, yes. with that yeah absolutely i think that the the if anything that i was happy about exiting that part of my life. And I still do songwriting therapy and I still make meditation for this book. There's going to be meditations on YouTube. I still play and I, I write occasionally. Um, but the thing that I miss the most is sitting in a room and writing, which is a lot like therapy. You're sitting there mm -hmm. talking about your emotions. That's what songwriters do. And when we run out of our own, we'll go to lunch and pick up someone else's, you know, <laughs> we listen to their stories. We're good listeners. Uh, we listen to humanity. We kind of 
we kind of, and we used to call it universal song ideas. Does, can everyone relate to it? So I don't see much difference between being a therapist and a songwriter, but the performance on stage, the road was grueling and I was getting weary of it. So that I don't mind. Now, when I travel, I travel for enjoyment and to see friends. I'm not traveling and I have to make sure my throat's in perfect shape or I'm a perfect mm -hmm. size or I have the perfect clothes. Mm -hmm. That that I don't miss. That show is is a little different connotation now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, how would you de describe codependency? That's something that uh, goes around, and many people have heard. But um, I'm not sure everybody's clear on um, what that is. And it's not uh, disordered uh, technically, but it can make uh, your life very difficult. So, what? How can you define that for us, for uh, for everybody here? What is codependency? First, the the one sentence version is, mm -hmm. you lose yourself while caring for others. That's the one sentence version. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, the longer version, and I'll make it, I'll make that brief too. In the old term, codependent kind of morphed into a term. I wish they would almost change. A woman named Barbara Oakley recoined it as pathological altruism. I sort of like that better. And I mentioned her in my book and I, I did have some emails back her because you can believe the best worst of people and you can give to people who are takers and take advantage of you or you give to you give out or you have a need to be needed instead of a want to be wanted. We all want to be wanted, but that need to be needed and you get dopamine and you get all these feel good chemicals when you give, but you're getting vicarious happiness. You're not getting your own happiness. You know, you're not you're not receiving. You're just giving, giving, giving. So um, codependent used to mean someone was dependent on a substance and you were living with them. That's the old version of it. And it sort of morphed into something new, which is why I titled my book, Codependence, Dis uh, Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, because I went and addressed how it has morphed and spread out. And no, it's not a formal disorder, but it can feel like one. Mm -hmm. And often a codependent will be taking care of somebody or living with someone who is disordered. Mm -hmm. So it's a little yeah. twisted, twisted sense of the DSM has tried to make it a disorder, but how do we how do we label excessive kindness and compassion? We yeah. do, the only diagnosis they have is burnout. When you finally just give out, you can get a diagnosis of burnout. That's about, that's about and, it. And you don't want to get to that point. And no. what, what I love about uh, the mental health movement too, and what I agree with is towards more health and wellness. So it's not about uh, dealing and treating diseases, but dealing and treating a better life. You want to have more, uh, a, a better life quality and uh, enjoy your life. And that is something that is often overlooked with, uh, in the field of psychology, because we want to improve people's lives and uh, in, in any way that's, that's possible. Now, a lot of relationships are one-sided and we, we see that yes. in many cases. And so um, what, there's not, there's a lot of give, but not enough take, and there's not the balance there. So uh, how can we know if we are in a codependent relationship? What are the warning signs, would you say? Great, great question, Arash. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you are giving to the point of resentment, or if you feel like people are taking advantage of you, or you even find yourself, because there's kind of a spectrum to codependency, if you find yourself saying, look at all I've done for you, and this is the thanks I get, mm -hmm. well, 
then you you may be in a codependent relationship. It may not be severely codependent, but you may be giving until you give out. You may be giving with expectation of return. And that's like a closet controller. And you're not even aware of it. It's a subconscious fear of abandonment that drives it. So you're just trying to stay attached to people and hang on to them whichever way you can. It's all about kind of an insecure attachment mm -hmm. and that kind of self-explanatory. And that goes back to, to childhood patterns as well. I love the term of subconscious because we, we are probably also not aware of it, but this is a pattern we fall into. And it might be that one relationship fails and then we see the same pattern, we continue with the same pattern in the next relationships as well. So unless we deal with that pattern, uh, we can't really solve the issues. And probably some people without uh, knowing it, they are choosing people who will not give them anything back in return. And they are kind of used to that pattern. So um, what can we do about that? How can we get to the point of freeing ourselves from, from that cycle? Wow, you ask great questions. <laughs> there, there is an old, old psychological term. I think Sigmund Freud may have invented it. He was right about some things, not everything. But Sigmund Freud, I'm pretty sure it came from him, is reenactment. And we reenact subconsciously again. I don't want anyone to ever feel badly when they listen to me. This is all subconscious. And because I was one, I know that you're already beating up on yourself a lot. So you don't need any of my help or anyone else's help. But subconsciously, there's a compulsion to repeat trauma or traumagenic environments, even great environments. If your parents taught you, it's more blessed to give than to receive, or you have to give to everyone. You can't judge anyone. You Well, you have to judge some people or you will pick up Ted Bundy hitchhiking. I would have been the person who picked up Ted Bundy hitchhiking because I would have seen somebody with a cast on their leg or arm carrying books on a college campus. I would have perceived out of the kindness of my heart to pick him up. And do you see how we have to just be conscious of our subconscious and to really be in touch with ourselves? And then you'll be less likely to to reenact. I call it recognize and neutralize the triggers. If you recognize that you're triggered and feel like you have that knee-jerk reaction to give and you don't feel good about it, pay attention to that tension in your body. There's there's physiology to this. Very similar to what Simon uh, Simone Biles just went through. Everybody said it was all mental issues, but you know, she lost her spatial relationship. That was in her brain, which made her anxious. You know, vertigo does that to people. Vertigo makes people not be able to have be balanced but it makes them anxious. Codependency is a lot like that. Mm -hmm. You're not balanced, so mm -hmm. you feel anxious and you feel guilty if you don't give and you feel good if you do give, but then you get exhausted and then you're at burnout, which is mm -hmm. what we don't wanna do. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and, and being able to have those boundaries and say, okay, now this is too much. I've given you so much, now expect something in return. But the problem is also, we, we grew up in environments as, as kids too, because we try to please others. And uh, I, I can relate to that myself, where I would try to please friends because I want to be accepted. And then it kind of becomes something uh, like a habit. And we continue doing that. And we don't realize that we're giving away our own boundaries, and we are actually not getting the satisfaction we should get from that relationship or friendship or anything uh, like that, right? And so, so it's also part of uh, maybe society as well of not making us be ourselves. Our parents, for example, that doesn't, they don't let us express ourselves in an authentic way. And that is something, and uh, um, th again, that happens with many good parents too, but yes. uh, to, give, to give their children space and room to develop and to disagree with them. 
That is something yes. that many parents have difficulty with. And I, I find it hard as I, I have a son, but I've always taught him like, you know, express your opinion. Even if I disagree with you, I want you to express that. But I don't see enough of that when I, when I look around in society and fellow parents and so on. No, no. And that is, I mean, what you're describing there in the macrocosm of the whole world is diplomacy. See, which we all need more of right now. Can we all agree? I think the whole world can agree we need some more diplomacy, except for mm -hmm. the people who don't like diplomacy. <laughs> but and I'll I'll agree with you to disagree with me because I, I like to be diplomatic. But that um in the book, there's a lot of inner child healing stuff and recognizing these patterns and messages and shoulds and have tos and must from your childhood. You know, I, I find it so funny, especially in this uh especially in American society where we celebrate Halloween in a whole strange way. We tell children, don't take candy from strangers. And yet we take them out one day a year, <laughs> yes, to take exactly. candy from strangers. <laughs> we tell them not to see in creepy people's laps. And then we take them to see Santa Claus. So uh -huh. children have no vocabulary or, you know, hug your uncle Harry and uncle Harry might be a child molester yes. or, you know, a, a bit of a pervert and those kind of things. So <clears throat> um, this is what happens to children is they, they are taught you must hug your you know, you must hug your parent, you must hug your siblings, this may be the very person who's harming them, which was part of my story. You know, you must be nice, you must be good, you must cover up for the family. And, and when you do that, you lose yourself, you totally lose your sense of identity, you completely have had your um, boundaries violated, and your sense of safety disintegrates. And it took me a long time to be able to talk about this without becoming emotional. And I, that's why I have a passion to help people that you do not have to live according to your family secrets. They're, your family's not Las Vegas. What stays in your, what happens in your family doesn't have to stay in your family. And you can talk to a therapist or trusted people, people that you can be yourself around. So I appreciate this platform to tell people just be yourself and within yeah. reason. Yes. So no one violates those boundaries. Be, beware with whom you share. Mm -hmm. But yes, we should all be ourselves a little bit more and we won't run into these reenactments so much. And, and being authentic because in, in a yes. society, any, any kind of like criticism, I know things are polarized and now it's gone to the other extreme. But even like, you know, if somebody's haircut is not good, then then tell them. I mean, that's your opinion. And, you know, I, yes. um, I, I grew up in Germany where people are more frank and, uh, and, and, and open with, with the criticism. And they tell you, this does not look good. And they don't mean to do harm. They just want you, they want exactly. the best for you. But then you get, you get the superficial kinds like, oh, it looks great on you and so on. And then it's like passive aggressive ways of trying to get the message through. I don't think that is helpful at all, not for yourself and not for the other person. No, you're so correct. I have a dear friend from uh, Germany named Ruth, who in fact is the reason I even got a book published. The, the, mm -hmm. She asked me to go to a writing retreat in Wyoming. And I said yes to myself. You know, I, I wasn't afraid to close my practice for a week. I had to learn, you know, to self-care myself as a therapist. But um, I love that about Ruth. That's why I love living in New York, because mm -hmm. I didn't have to guess. And I'm from the South where everybody says, bless your heart. And they don't say what they mean. They don't mean yeah. what they say. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's an, you can have a culture down here to be raised like that. Um, um, my grandparents came from Italy. So also, same thing. I mean, it was more about people pleasing and just feed people, just give them food. <laughs> so um, yes, the people pleasing is very dangerous and a codependent, a huge symptom of it is extreme people pleasing to the point of where you're not pleased. That's when you, that's when it's different. You can please people all you want, but 
you need to feel some pleasure too, or you will get resentful. And, and I think when people say I'm too nice, that's kind of a warning sign for me. It's like, why would you say too? Why, why would you be too much of something? For me, everything should be in moderation and, and even kindness to, uh, should be in moderation. And you should like focus your kindness again on, on people uh, you care about and who care about you. And so the problem is when you are nice, uh, narcissists take advantage of that. And that's been my experience in many cases where they just jump on you. I'm like, you know, yes. a magnet of, of narcissists. And so um, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Like, <laughs> they're I heard everywhere. like maybe like, like one in five. So, yeah, they say 6%. I was just reading an article earlier today. They're about 6% of the population. In fact, they almost took it out of the DSM-5 because it was so prevalent, but they decided, no, we need to keep it in because there's narcissistic people and yes. they're selfish. And then there's narcissistic personality disorder. So yeah. they did keep the disorder in. Yes, Thank goodness. Yes, yes, yes. and it, it, it is frightening because those are the people who always take and take and don't give anything in return, oh. and it becomes the norm. And so they they take everything for granted, and uh, uh, then when you don't do something according to their wishes, they they criticize you. So yes. um, how can you deal in a relationship where you have a narcissist? How could you deal with that situation? What would be the best advice you would give? somebody well again i'll give a one sentence answer to that mm -hmm. and then I, I i can write a whole book on this and i i might do that but there's a lot of narcissistic books out there but i look at it a different way because they are everywhere i don't believe in the no contact with a narcissist okay it's impossible that to me it's impossible i you know my father was a self-proclaimed narcissist my mother was one and my brother sure as heck was a closet one and I had to navigate that. One of my best friends called me like Marilyn from the Munsters. I just didn't seem to notice <laughs> that, there, that my family was overbearing because I was so busy pleasing them all, which was a perfect way for me to go into show business because I knew how to please difficult people. Yeah. But a best way to deal with a narcissist is to lower your expectations of them mm -hmm. and to heighten your expectations of yourself. And that's difficult for someone who's codependent, because if you keep trying to explain stuff to them or you keep trying to confront them, if you to ask a narcissist, why are you so awful? Did you know what you did to me? Do you understand how bad I hurt? Well, they do. They did it on purpose because mm -hmm. they're also subconsciously driven by a fear of abandonment. They do know what they did. They do know because so many people come to me and say they don't know what they're doing. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And they mean to be mean. Mm -hmm. There is no there is no Dr. Jekyll. There is Mr. Hyde. That's why it's spelled H-Y-D-E. It's about hiding. They hide it. So the best way instead of no contact is to lower your expectations of them, heighten your expectations of yourself. Don't argue with them. Don't explain stuff to them. Less information equals less ammunition. Yes. Yes. Anything can be used against you. And, and it will be. <laughs> and it will be. Yes. Yes. In the yes. court of life. Yes, it will. Been and, there. And, married to one. Two, and, actually. <laughs> and, and just the idea that you can change them, that is a false notion. And that false hope is like, yes, I will be different and I can change that person. It's, I would say to that person, don't. You know, don't even know. <laughs> no. And, I, and yeah. I put in the book, if, if I'm if I'm good enough, then they'll start loving me. They'll see that I've done more than enough and they'll love me. No, they won't. They'll just raise that bar higher and higher and higher. Mm -hmm. That's why you have to step out of that dynamic and just less exposure equals more composure, too. And you just expose yourself less. 
reduce the information you give them and also reduce the need to be right with them or the need to explain mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. They know, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they love it when you get in an argument with them. A lot of people might recognize when you get in a, in an argument with a narcissist, they'll raise their voice and then you raise yours and then they mm -hmm. raise theirs. And then all of a sudden you're a crazy person screaming, then they get really calm and happy <laughs> and you're completely beside yourself. You're just, and literally beside yourself, you're dissociated, upset, frantic your your hands are shaking your heart's pounding but they're happy all of a sudden because they just made you mad and that's what they want to do because that means you're still connected to them and that's all they want to know can i drive that person crazy enough to still want to be connected to me through negative attention the answer is yes and yeah you yeah. got it, Arash. That's what happens. Yeah. Oh, and uh, <laughs> personal experience as well here. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, I explained that well. Did you relate to that? <laughs> yes. No. That's that's what wonderful. They do. And what and, and this is what what I love about your book and your experiences here because it is a personal experience, and you have healed from this, and you have yes. gone through the difficult stages of of getting there. And we we have a lot of psychologists who talk about something, but I, I sense like they have no clue of what's going on. It's like, okay, mm. now you do this. Now positive thinking. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. But when you go through that, and again, this is when, even if you're going through a very rough time and you've had like the worst of luck in your life, everything is going wrong, you can use that and use it for good. And it's actually, um, it's kind of a blessing. I mean, it, it, it yes. sounds odd, but it is because it gives you uh, experiences that you can build on, that you can develop, and that can take you to a completely different uh, way than you expected, like from singer yes. songwriter to uh, uh, to writing a book on uh, on this uh, very important and uh, uh, essential topic. And so um, you're using the holistic way, which is something that I've um, come around to, and I very much appreciate. And um, I was one of those who was a bit suspicious of that. The same Freud. I mean, Freud is, is somebody I, um, um, I follow him, his ideas, where I was before I was suspicious. I was like, well, how can that be? That's not scientific. And we get the same with, uh, with holistic approaches. Nah, it's not, it's not scientific. It doesn't work. And I, I disagree, and I strongly disagree with that statement. And uh, I think I am, in a way, living proof of that because I found a lot of my issues and problems have gone away by approaching it in such a such a with a wide lens like that of including yes. not just the body, not just the mind, but a combination of the spirit as well. All three combined. Because if we look at it, none of them work independently. It's like, okay, uh, yeah. mental health, you can't address it without also addressing the physical health. It's a combination of that. And one Absolutely. of the uh, fascinating things that I, uh, I've uh, discovered is the, that we have actually three brains, that the heart has neurons and it's connected to your brain and so is your gut. And so yes. the gut feeling becomes so much more important. It's really well, a gut feeling. It's it actually your brain is. telling you <laughs> yes. in different ways. Yes. So... Um, this is a, a very interesting approach, but how can we maybe convince people that this, this will really help them? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it, and, I, and I love that you asked that because I was a skeptic as well. Mm -hmm. I'm very much a skeptic. Um, but there's something that wonderful that happened in our world. We have imaging now. Psychiatry mm -hmm. was the last frontier of medicine that did not use imaging to diagnose. It was a lot of guesswork and decision trees, which, which is fine. We, we were pretty good with that, but good is not great. Mm -hmm. And now we have a lot of empirical evidence to back up that when people are meditating, they're releasing serotonin and dopamine. And when people 
are in quiet states and they're not being attacked or they're, they feel safe, they're able to make better decisions. And if you're a disbeliever, just don't sleep for a couple of days, have mm -hmm. your worst enemy come into your life and see if you can control your temper. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your body and your mind and your spirit are connected. And when people don't believe in a spiritual life, I tell them, even if you have no concept of a religion, that's not what I'm saying, mm -hmm. that you have a moral compass. You know, people that are atheists have a moral compass. I admire that because they're, mm -hmm. they're getting it not from fear, not from a, not from and some no, no reward, right? There's right. no reward there. No reward. They're just doing it for its own sake, which I actually I, appreciate more. I appreciate <laughs> it more too. I do. I appreciate it more. I get, I get a lot of flack from people saying, how can you appreciate that more? I said, because they are truly going by faith. Yes. True. That's like a faith that beyond what most people can even fathom. But, and uh, then I just tell them, we all are, have a personality and your personality is your spirit. It's like, we're like fingerprints. No two are alike. People have similar personalities, but boy, there's so many people in the world and everyone's different. So yes, we have imaging now to prove the holistic approach works. So even for skeptics, I, I put things in my book in such a, um, it looks unstructured, but it isn't. It's in, in a sort of a structured way where if they want to skip over one of the things, if they don't want to do the meditation, you don't have to, you're going to glean information from it. But when you put them all together, it's synergistic. So it's up to the reader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it just, it's, it's a very scientific way of breaking things into parts and compartments and there's this and there's that. But when you look at things, even like just the act of seeing a vision is connected to various things of our body, of our brain, of our mind, of our experiences. And so, and even memory that you have like parts of your body that remembers things your muscles remember things so it's much more complex than that and it seems to me like people are taking a very simplistic view of something that is much bigger and we see that also with the effect of things like gratitude how that is something and forgiveness and uh, how these are things that are now encouraged by skeptics as well they say you know what um it actually works we don't know how we don't know why but it works and they are recommending that they kind of know how some of that works now with imaging. Uh, yes. The best example I can give, and it's a it, it's great because people will get this immediately. It's like I'm going to tell you a tiny little parable, and you'll get it immediately. If you walk out, this is gratitude. The, the parable is about gratitude and anger. Don't live well in the human brain together. Mm -hmm. They don't coexist. Mm -hmm. If you walk outside your front door and you have a flat tire and you're late from work, you're going to say bad words. You're going to have to put money in your fine jar for cussing. And then if you switch to gratitude and go, oh, thank goodness, this wasn't on the interstate in the rain or the snow. Mm -hmm. When you stop and you're grateful, all did you just, I hope people out there felt their body go from that angry mm -hmm. gut feeling like, I can't believe I flat tire. Oh my gosh. To, oh, thank God it's not on the interstate. Or oh, thank whatever your higher power is. It's mm -hmm. not on the interstate. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have two flat tires. Mm -hmm. I wasn't on an icy road. Do you see how all of a sudden that shift, yes. it lifts your entire uh, thought processes up and it helps you realize that gratitude overrides the negativity, lifts yeah. you up out of it. And I, I love I love neuroscience and the idea yes. of the amygdala kind of hijacking your response. And so you, when you're in chronic stress, you're going to react a certain way because you cannot actually, because it's blocking the passage to the other part, your prefrontal cortex, which would yes. deal with a reason and logic. So that's why it's so important also to, to take a breather and take a break and not respond immediately to the other person and just yes. kind of, kind of remain calm 
and then get into that state where you can say, you know what, this is actually not a big deal. I will not get upset over this. I will not get angry over this. But we see like people like immediately reacting to things without thinking and without uh, accessing that part of the brain. And so that is, is, is not a good idea at all. And no. so when, when you're in an argument too, you can diffuse that argument by just being the calm center there and saying, okay, this is not a threat towards me. This is not personal. In many cases, it is not. This is just my reaction to it, my kind of instinct to that because yes. again, of my past experiences of my childhood and all that. Yes. So um, I think that is very important to include neuroscience and, and my, my knowledge of it is limited, uh, um, but I find it fascinating. The more I, I, I study too. and learn about it, it's the more I understand how uh, our brain is working and how we are reacting. And yes, so, so the, the more you learn, the less you know about neuroscience, right? Because they're, they're discovering more every single day. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And so it's, can, it's that you can change a habit like that. It takes a lot of effort and willpower, but it's yes. possible. And that gets us also back to the idea of like, who can you help? And there are some people who are uh, thinking they can, they can uh, help anybody and uh, they, they go about and, and, you know, try to change people's lives, but you can't even, even as a, as a mental health professional, you can only help those who are willing to get help and uh, you cannot force that you're well-meaning no. and you want to do good and you have the answers, but you have to let them get to the answers themselves at least you know they have to have the willingness to change yes correct yes. correct yes and i love um you brought up mirror neurons earlier because mirror neurons are they're not everything but they are the basis of a lot of things in communication because and the best way i can describe that is when you go to a film the person who's doing the talking isn't necessarily the one on camera because the person who's on camera is teaching the audience how to respond they mm -hmm. are mimicking, they're seeing the mirror neurons of the actor. If the actor is sad, the audience gets sad. If the actor is mad, the audience feels the anger. We feel this in our vagus nerve, which is connected, you know, prefrontal cortex, fight, flight, frozen, vagus nerve, heart pounding yeah. or heart calming, whatever you're looking at, the emotion, your, your vagus nerve does not know the difference between negative and positive emotion. Fear and excitement do the same thing to your body. But those mirror neurons, when we're reading each other's eyes and facial expressions through the vagus nerve in your face, um, we will tend to react instead of mm -hmm. respond. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's when you take a breath. And especially if you're in an argument with a narcissist, take a breath, step back and don't raise your voice. Because if you don't raise your voice, you've just cut out so much of the reactivity from the vagus nerve because it doesn't like loud noise. It does not. Mm -hmm. and, and that goes back to evolution when we look at that, because they before we had language, this was how we would communicate through fear. Yes. And the other person, well, you see fear on their face and you say, OK, I'm not going to take that path because something is happening there. And exactly. so that's, that's stuck with us. And the, the flip side of this is when you are happy and grateful and you're calm and you can get the same with other people, you can have the same mirror effect with others. Yes, and you can you can try it out in arguments where the the person is attacking you, but you are that calm center, and then the argument ends because there's nothing to feed on. You know, it just Absolutely. like basically stops. Yeah. Yes, they're because yeah. they're reading your mirror neurons. Oh, mm -hmm. I can't get through to them. No, you can't. I tell so many people if someone's lobbing fiery tennis balls at you <laughs> on a tennis court, you don't try to lob them back and keep up with them. You just lay down your racket and walk away. 
game over. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's exactly. that's how it works. So yeah. uh, the neuroscience is huge, and we have neuroplasticity. We can <laughs> change our brains. <laughs> Absolutely. Is it is it easy? No. <laughs> it's repetition. You got conditioned by repetition. You reconditioned by repetition. <laughs> you have to practice. I mean, every day I mess up and do something that could be construed as a codependent behavior, and I go, okay, well, it's a it's a process. It's a lot like addiction, and that desire to get help. I went to an addictions doctor there's no pills for codependency but i went to an addictions doctor to to show me what was going on and i told him i said i'm i'm coming at you from the other side of the fence here i'm the one that addicts and narcissists and people are attracted to what's going on in my brain that makes me say yes when i mean no and no when i mean yes mm -hmm. and he taught me many of these things and he was a meditator he's still he's still alive he's a wonderful man um and he taught me much about neuroscience and why holistic stuff was so good. And uh, I was already meditating. I've been doing that since I was in my 20s, but I quit for a long time. And then I went back to my original practice and incorporated it with all the neuroscience I learned. So yes, it expedites it. It's synergistic, like we said. And the Funny serenity prayer is amazing. I mean, there's so oh, much yes. wisdom in those few lines, like in the <laughs> beginning. And it's just, yes, that's true. And it's so hard to do. And yes. I think that's one thing that people nowadays in our society, they expect quick results. I take this pill and I feel happy. I take this pill and then I lose weight, but it doesn't work that way. And you, anything yeah. that's worth it solved, you do have to work towards it. And it takes a lot of effort, but in yes. the end, it's so much worth it. It's so worth it to, to, to take that path, that difficult path. And um, um, when you come out on the other side, and so um, how can we encourage people to, to keep going? Because I know a lot of people who just don't, are not willing to take that step to, to continue on their path of healing. No, I'll just give away something that's toward the end of the book that, um, that I think it's, a, it's good for them to know. And I'll just put it to you like it is in there. Mm -hmm. Now they've gone through an, an almost an entire book of retraining their brain. And it's a quick fix chapter. There's many quick fixes for many behaviors that are left over, like people pleasing or getting defensive. But then at the end, I said, when all else fails. So if all else fails and you don't want to change, just stay the way you are, keep emptying your bank account, keep baking a hundred pies for people who will never thank you. Keep buying Christmas presents for people who go, oh, uh, that's nice that don't care <laughs> or, you know, criticize your, your appearance or criticize you or make fun of you or call you dumb, make you feel badly about yourself. Just keep doing that. And right about then I've written a sentence that says, are you mad at me yet? <laughs> 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 did I just like, did I just tell you that, you know, you're mad at me? I hope so. I said, I hope you're mad at me <laughs> because when all else fails, you just don't want to stay like this because we get 36,500 days, days to live if we are 100 years old. Mm -hmm. That's 5,200 weekends. Mm -hmm. Just do the emotional math. Mm -hmm. Do you want to stay in a state of exhaustion and burnout and angry? It doesn't mean you can't give. It's just be, you're giving consciously mm -hmm. and to people who make you feel good about you, not badly about you. You're not giving to get. You're just giving out of a pure heart instead of a need to be needed or obligation or fear yeah. or guilt. Yes, exactly. That, that's, that's very important because then that's, again, authentic living. It's like, yes. I will give to you because I care about you and not because it's my obligation to do so. And that yeah. is something, and it's hard to do because when, when you don't do that, you'll get criticized. But then being able to absorb that kind of criticism and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm okay with that. 
you know yes. and so so that's something we we need to work on and uh, there is also the idea of imposter syndrome and uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned that in your book. I, haven't I did that not, okay. but it's a good um, thing to do. Yeah. Yes. When well, actually a codependent is being an imposter. They that's don't what think I was thinking are. as I was reading. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I have a notebook to write. <laughs> so uh, what would you say about that? And that's actually not in your book. So that's actually extra information added on here. So what, what well, would you say about that? Uh, and, and it's funny first, because what is it? What is it? So that, you uh, don't feel uh, genuine in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, they, they taught us a lot of things when we become therapists. And one of them, oh my goodness, and it's the hardest thing we have to learn is not to give flat out advice. That's what life coaches do. Yeah. But, but very good difficult. ones don't actually. Really good right. ones they don't. They help They're you more reach like... your own conclusion. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when, if you, everybody feels like an imposter at one point in their life. I know many times I'd go on stage when I was sick as a dog or my throat hurt. And I said, I can't entertain anybody, but that mm -hmm. show must go on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's just knowing that it's okay to feel like an imposter, but actually a codependent would never quite like a narcissist would never admit they were an imposter. A codependent might never admit they were an imposter with people pleasing. It would be too difficult for them. Uh, that's why I call narciss uh, uh, codependency narcissism in reverse. Narcissists are hyper-focused on themselves. Mm -hmm. Codependents are hyper-focused on everyone else. So really you're getting vicarious pleasure mm -hmm. from meeting the needs of others. So it's a twisted sense of selfishness mm -hmm. and ouch, I had to face that myself. It's like, I had to face that and go, oh, wow, there's a twisted sense of this will make me feel safer and more secure when actually the opposite was true. The more real I got with myself and others didn't mean they didn't fight back. They didn't like it. They don't go, oh, great. You're making boundaries. Oh, great. You're being yourself. No, they're like, you're not acting like yourself when actually I was at being my real self. <laughs> saying no, it, no more. it can come yes. as a surprise then because yes. they've seen you how you were before it's like what's happening are you okay and yeah i'm actually yes. perfectly fine now yeah yes. and, uh, actually i've never been better i've never I'm been in a, better I'm exactly. in a good spot yeah yes. and, and and that's that's been my experience too so we sometimes get also cognitive dissonance and you do mention that and yeah. you just briefly explain how 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 would you define that too cognitive dissonance well a lot of people, I think compartmentalization gets a bad name, but cognitive dissonance is compartmentalization on steroids mm -hmm. because you haven't just compartmentalized it. Like we all, like a show business person, you, you, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you have a headache, you have to sing a song. You're just going to count on that adrenaline kicking in mm -hmm. to keep you performing until you get off the stage. And then your headache will be 10 times as bad. That's compartmentalization, not a bad trait. We all have to go to work and keep our personal lives separate. <laughs> but cognitive dissonance is when you hold on to two incongruent beliefs at the same time. That's not compartmentalization. That's separating yourself for the benefit of others. <laughs> so cognitive dissonance would be an example is somebody who smokes and says, well, it's keeping me skinny. I used to be one of those people. So I know, and, and I'm long, not those people, <laughs> but, uh, but um, it, that's what it's doing. There are people saying, yes, I know that this is bad for me, or yes, I know this person is toxic for me, but they're my mother, but they're mm -hmm. my cousin, mm -hmm. but I have to go see them. Well, you don't have to be the exactly. same person around them. Yeah. That's why I said, I don't believe in no contact. That's because mm -hmm. sometimes it's impossible, but you can change your response to them. That cognitive dissonance will keep you so separated from yourself. It causes splitting. And splitting is a symptom of many personality disorders, and you don't want to get one of those.
because mm-hmm. there's no pills for that. Mm-hmm. You just want to yeah. stay true to you. And then you kind of come back together. You integrate yourself, those, those two incongruent beliefs and say it, it, how it would work for, I'll just use a smoker, for example. Okay. Yes. This served me for a time to help me lose weight, but now it's killing me. So I'm going to integrate these two beliefs and say, okay, quit being foolish. Don't, don't lie to yourself and get some help and fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think there's uh, there's a lot of negativity in people's lives too. And even when you don't notice it, and even myself, when it's like, this is negative, and I don't want that to have be part of it. I want to... Um, I want to deal with it and then just move on and not have negativity in my life as much as that's possible. So yes. when you are in an argument with somebody, the question rises then, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? And I was like, you know what? No, being right is not as satisfying as being happy. So when, when we get into those kind of moments, we should opt for the more positive way of doing things instead of sticking to the negativity of like, I have to be right, or I need to show them uh, that I can do this. And uh, no, you don't, because the, no. the other state would be much, much more positive, much happier for you. Yes. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. That's, I wish, I wish your listeners could see me beaming over here because <laughs> I did put in my book, being right is highly overrated. Yeah. Having pe- peace is powerful. And diplomacy, I actually assign my clients to say, hate me for it and they love me afterwards. But I tell them to go watch one of those boring C-SPAN shows where diplomats are sitting in a room, they're diametrically opposed, there's a fire, there's some flowers, there's photo ops, and they are deciding whether or not to go to war. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize the importance of those seemingly benign summit meetings no they're keeping people (laughs) from losing their lives in massive wars and when we put that down in the microcosm of humans yes you don't need to be right you need to keep the peace you can express your opinion without needing to be right just say i don't agree with you this is my opinion but i understand if you don't agree with me if more people would do that the world would be much better place to live and I think okay. we would cancel the cancel culture if that would happen. I think so, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it's also like when you realize that um, you can change your mind. It's okay to change your mind. It's yes. actually good for you. And I found yes. that too, when I was against technology and internet, it's like, no, I don't want to go. Everything should be online. I don't want to do that. It's tough. I'm an instructor. I have to have face-to-face interaction. But then I, I realized and I said to everyone, you know what? I was wrong. I was completely yes. wrong. But but that statement is so liberating. It's such a relief to be able to say, you know what? I apologize. I was wrong. Now I'm going to change my tune. And many people don't do that. They think if I admit that I was wrong, I become weak or or, or people will lose respect. If they do, that's okay. Because yes, I have okay. my self-respect, which is to me more important than than theirs, uh, their respect, what they're thinking. Because I can't yes. control that in, in the, either way. I mean... I can't control what others are thinking. And no. as an uh, imposter too, I, I always expect the worst or used to expect the worst from people. It's like, okay, this didn't go well. My job interview, I bombed it. It was awful. And then I get the calls, you were hired. I was like, what happened? <laughs> and there's cognitive dissonance in that, in that sense too, where we think it went much worse than it actually did in reality. Oh, that's so beautiful. It reminded me of a really funny story. This will help people that are codependent just be themselves. Mm-hmm. for so long when I was trying to become a songwriter and it, I was eaten up with that. That's what I really wanted to do. And, and I did it for a long time, but I had, you know, everybody say, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me, you know, why do you want to be a songwriter? I had all these little pat answers and mm-hmm. asked people what the answers were. 
I finally was just weary, tired, and exhausted from that, trying to think of the right answer to say to the right person at the right time, that the first time I ever got a songwriting, I got signed immediately. He said, so tell me why you want to be a writer. And I said, so do you want the real answer or do you want the answer I've been told to say? And he goes, no, I want the real one. Yeah. Because I, I was just about to give up. This is when I was just about to give up my dream. And I said, the real answer is, I don't care if you like my songs or not. I can't stop writing. I can't not do it. I said, I know that's improper English, but I won't stop. I just can't stop. I've been doing this since I was a kid. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. And he said, you're hired. I said, but you haven't heard my songs yet. He goes, yeah, but a real songwriter can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just being yourself can just open up a window of opportunity and you you may not think that's true but when you quit being an imposter and you're just yourself within reason mind you you don't have to be rude or hateful but yes it, it can change everything just being you this reminds me of a comic i saw a job interview where the person says well they asked what is your flaw and he said the person says i'm i'm very honest i'm too honest and then the, the interviewer says, no, that's actually not a flaw. And then the, the person says, well, I don't give a shit what you're thinking. <laughs> and, it, it, I it's that, and I think that person should be hired. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because you know where you stand. Yeah. That, that yeah. is, a, that's, you know, you do know where you stand and, and that's a good thing to know. And I think people are just living in a world now of just tiptoeing around everybody else. Yeah. And that's kind of a codependent behavior. What do you want me to say? What do I think you want to hear? What would, what do I think would make you feel better? Exactly. And you, you're scared of speaking because yes. anything could be construed as offensive. And, yes. and so, especially in today's like volatile culture. Oh and, yes. Uh, and I think like, no, just, you know, if they want to be offended, that is their choice, you know, in many yes. ways, because that is not the intention. And if it was uh, um, it was offensive, then apologize for it and move on. Exactly. Don't like hang on saying no, but I meant this and this, or try to excuse yourself or come up with reasons why. Just yes. like openly say I was wrong. We don't see that with politicians enough. We don't no. see that with uh, uh, with with scientists too. I mean, actually, they're they're a bit better, but still, if something goes wrong, accept it, own it, yes. and then own it. Yes. Yeah, oh, I still on. own my stuff. I mean, somebody stuck me for a cab fare about a month ago. And I said, well, that was the best $20 I ever spent because I just relapsed. <laughs> I, so I got on, on my social media and I said, um, I'm writing a book about codependency and I want everyone to know I'm humbled because uh -huh. I, a lot of financial abuse happened to me. Uh, that was a whole chapter on that mm -hmm. and on how, not just on my story, but how a lot of people's codependency comes out in their checkbook. Mm -hmm. So, but and, I said, and it, a, it was humbling overlooked point and you you yes. talk about that too the financial aspect because like when we look at economies that is really important and that's why we have that gender gap because there's not uh, the equality in terms of uh, making money and in terms of having a no. job or uh, making a living and so that creates an imbalance which also has psychological effects in terms of the power structure and you get yes. to, to somebody like Nietzsche would say well here this person has power over you because you are vulnerable to to that situation and absolutely that is something that needs to be addressed and talked about as well and which you are uh, doing which is, i did uh, i have a whole chapter wonderful. on it yes uh, because <laughs> and the first publisher i worked with being authentic i i broke that contract because they did not want me to have a financial chapter or a neuroscience chapter Hopefully. which i think oh. is exactly what makes the work different exactly and and more uh, expanded view of, of treatment, not just talking about it, but treating it. 
-hmm. How can you get better? Because so many people, men and women equally, uh, mm -hmm. I wish I didn't know that, but I am in private practice, but men and women equally get abused financially. They either stay because they have a lack of money and can't go, or they have all the money and they feel responsible for everyone. Those are the extremes and there's everything in between. But we use a term called a poverty of spirit. And I will tell you, this is what mm. a codependent has. Mm -hmm. Even if they have millions of dollars and they have a poverty of spirit, they may end up giving too much to the wrong people at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. That's why I always encourage philanthropy to people that have a codependent tendency. Like I have a cause I absolutely adore uh, and it's very, I'm very, very passionate about it. And I won't share it with your audience unless you'd want me to, but I do I can, actually, I do. <laughs> I, I really despise human trafficking. Okay. Yes. I and it's been going on much. I've despised it be, yes. because I'm down here in a place where it's rampant and no one seems to notice. Yeah. So I cannot step into the places where it's occurring and be safe. I will be dead in 20 seconds mm -hmm. or less, probably. Mm -hmm. But I know organizations that I can give to that I research and be sure that money's being used responsibly and that I give to that. There's synergy and philanthropy. So I'm still giving. My, I'm, not, I'm not not giving. Many codependents say, well, you can't tell me not to be generous. I'm not telling you not to be generous. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you not to be foolish and generous. You know, a foolish codependent would walk down to a human trafficker's den and say, give me those girls. Yeah. Well, I can't do that. Fever <laughs> syndrome, right? <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I can't do that, yeah. but I do. No, and you shouldn't. Food. And that's, that's, again, important to know the boundaries and being yes. healthy and safe. But what can I do? Again, the serenity prayer. What can I change and what can I not change? And try exactly. to find the, the sweet spot in between. Exactly. And to exactly. remain there. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's been it's been wonderful talking to you. The book is Codependent Discovery and Recovery 2.0, a holistic approach to healing and freeing yourself. And uh, when I was reading that, I felt a, a warm presence, a compassionate voice. And I'm so glad to to talk to you and to verify that it is true. And this is Aww. authentic. And thank you so much for, for talking to me here. Thank you. And thank you for sharing authentically with me. I love it. I, I can feel the synergy here. So I really appreciate that. And thank you for everyone who listened and you do not have to give to give out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much.